Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge podcast, where we discuss creators of color disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and on this episode, we chat with writer and producer Davida Scarlett. Welcome, Davida, to the Spectrum Lounge. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Absolutely. Listen, I am so excited for you because... Um, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the Good Fight, and actually, um, I got to interview a couple of weeks ago. I got to speak with Niambi Niambi. Oh, awesome! Um, who, yeah. Yes, who plays Jade to Persia? So I was just like, yeah, I got to get some people from the Good Fight on my <laughs> podcast. Um, as I was telling him, I, I got to um, I got to binge watch the Good Fight. I think it was like a couple of weeks ago. I started like on Thursday, Friday, and finished on Thursday, so I'm all caught up. I just haven't seen last week's episode. That's the only one I haven't seen. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I was a devout follower of The Good Wife, the original series, and then, um, you know, watching the spinoff. And, you know, one of the things that that I observed, because uh, my friends and I, I have a, a good friend of, of mine who introduced me to The Good Wife. And I was just like, you know what? I can actually tell when I watched The Good Fight, it's an excellent show, but I could tell when Black women started writing on this show. I could tell when we started having Black writers on this show. And this is not a knock to Robert and Michelle because I think they're brilliant, but I could feel our voices in the room once you, and I believe Aaron Squire, he's the other um, Black writer in in the writer's room, correct? Yes. Yes. I I could feel when you guys were there. I felt your spirits. <laughs> so, um, and, the, and so why don't you tell us how you got the, um, to work on The Good Fight? How did that come about? Yeah. Um, well, I have been a television writer now for like, I guess it's been like uh, almost six years. So that's cool. I'm like, wait, great. I'm doing it. I'm making it happen. Anyway, um, yeah. I uh, had lived, I, I'm from New York, but I moved to LA uh, for film school and then also just to try and get my career started in TV because there, there's more and more stuff happening in New York these days. But at least when I started, the conventional wisdom was very much to go out to LA and see what you can find and try and make it out there. So I'd been out there for um, like seven years uh, and had had the opportunity to work on a bunch of different shows, which had which has been great. And I learned a lot from all of them. And so I, my last, the last gig I did in LA was this show um, on Apple plus, am I even saying that right? Apple TV plus Apple plus yes. uh, mm-hmm. c- called um, uh, truth be told starring Octavia Spencer. So I was working on that at the beginning of 2018. And as we were, you know, you're kind of always uh, being a TV writer is a little bit of a hustle. You're kind of always looking for a gig because uh, TV seasons are sort of finite, you know, anywhere from like six to eight months. And then you still ideally need to fill out the rest of the uh, the months in the year so that you can, you know, pay mm-hmm. your bills, all those things. So anyway, so we're, we're getting to the end of the season on Truth Be Told. And uh, I, my agents at the time uh, called me and said that they, had a potential opportunity for me, which was on the good fight. And I was Mm -hmm. super excited by that because, so I joined the good fight in season three, but I had been watching the good fight as a fan um, for seasons one, one and two. So that was very exciting to me to like get the call that they wanted to meet um, for me to potentially staff on the show. 
So um, I had a, a staffing meeting um, with mm-hmm. Michelle King and the King's um, EP, the person who uh, helps run their production company, Liz Glatzer. And it was a really good meeting. Um, and so, yeah, they, and they, they ended up offering me the job and uh, the show writes and films in New York. So it was also an opportunity for me to come back to the place where I grew up, my, my home. Um, and so mm-hmm. I was very excited to do that. And then I should also say, you know, I feel like I'm always sort of uh, looking or not looking for, but always noticing and appreciative of the moments in my life where it feels like things have just come together and are like bigger than me. It's like these moments of um, it almost feels like fate because it's like, I guess it could be coincidence, but it just feels like, you know, there is a higher power making moving things in a direction. But my boss on Truth Be Told, who's this amazing uh writer, Nichelle Tramble Spellman, really awesome mm-hmm. person. Um, she had worked on The Good Wife for many seasons. And so yes. she, she knows Robert and Michelle very well. And they've kept in touch since The Good Wife ended. And so it was sort of like, you know, Nichelle was lovely and kind enough to put in a good word for me on The Good Fight with the Kings. And I felt like I was just, it just felt like a connection. I go from like, you know, one amazing show with a, with an amazing boss who worked on The Good Wife to then getting to work on The Good Fight. So that's sort of how that happened. And I moved um, from L.A. to New York uh, at the end of August in 2018. And I've been oh. working I've been working on The Good Fight since then. So I've done, I've done two seasons of The Good Fight now, season three and season four. Oh, fantastic. So what is that like? I mean, joining a show that, number one, you had already been a fan of, and then joining the writer's room that's that's already been established, so you're sort of like the new kid on the block. What is that like? What is the adjustment like? Yeah, well, I was nervous. I was definitely nervous. Um, you know, you never, I think every writer's room is its own little sort, like little ecosystem, and it's mm-hmm. sort of like you don't know you don't know like how things will work when, when uh, elements are added or elements are taken away. You kind of hope that the ecosystem will still be okay and that you're not going to be disrupting things too much. Um, But I was nervous as anyone I think would be to step into a, like sort of, I mean, pretty much a well-oiled machine. Um, But I think in the, uh, at the end of season two, because I believe, and I could be wrong, but I think the first season of Good Fight was actually in LA. And then they mm-hmm. moved to New York for season two, I believe. And I think a couple of the writers who moved to New York weren't big fans of New York, which is totally understandable, um, even though I love New York. But anyway, so they decided to move back to LA after season two, which is why they were looking for new writers for season three. Um, but I will say, you know, the Kings are really... Um, they're really great people. They're really, they're really kind people. And I, I always believe that on any show, the tone in the room and just the tone of the whole production usually is set from the top up and, or top, top down. And it just, whatever's at the top, good or bad trickles down throughout the whole production. And the Kings are, are, I can, I say confidently are really wonderful people. And so I feel like they uh, have hired really lovely people and people that I enjoy working with. And so I felt, I didn't feel like the new kid on the block when I came, when I joined for season three, I felt like they were very, everyone on the staff, including the Kings were very welcoming and uh, definitely open to hearing my point of view. And I will say when I started writing, 
Um, it's, it was sort of like a, a mind fuck for me because I wanted to become a writer because I liked writing. Like I liked writing things down and I hated talking even like my whole thing as I was like growing up and I was a kid was always like, I get my report cards back and they tell my mom like, Oh, Davida's so smart. She's doing great on her test, blah, blah, blah. But she never talks in class. She's so quiet. We want her to talk more. We want her to participate. And I was always, I was such a shy kid and I hated um, having to speak up. And I feel like that was something that followed me. I was great with friends. Like I feel like in my friend circles, I was fine, but there was something about like all eyes. I, or I felt, you know, I feel like all eyes are never on you, but like, you know, uh, teenage child, child me and teenage me was like, everyone's looking at me as I talk, I'm nervous. So I was, Mm -hmm. that kind of always, like always went with me as I grew up. And I was always sort of like, I like writing. I don't really want to talk, blah, 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 blah. But then you get into a writer's room And I feel like the first thing I sort of learned is that being working in television is really just as much about talking as it is about Mm -hmm. writing. Like you go in, um, honestly, before you even get to write anything down or work on it or like write an episode, you kind of have to prove yourself um, by being able to pitch and and being able to present your ideas in a room. You know, television writing is sort of group writing in some respects. And so we're all working together on each episode and we're sitting around a table and we're pitching ideas for each episode, all the characters, the season. And so that is so much about um, talking and presenting your ideas and making sure that your ideas are landing in a way that, um, in a way that other people can, can grasp. And so I struggled with that in the beginning. I had uh, on my first show, I had a really kind showrunner who uh, definitely, you know, was patient with me as I sort of found my voice over the course of the show. But it was something I struggled with in terms of like being nervous about talking and not wanting to pitch and also being my head, being in my head about whether my ideas were good or not. That I often, I often ended up uh, in some my earlier rooms, like observing, I think more than talking, which so, you know sometimes works in, for some showrunners, but works less for other showrunners. And I sort of had to get to a place where I was like, okay, I want to be a television writer, and if I want to be a television writer, I have to come out of my shell and I have to be able to present my ideas in a room and pitch confidently so that so that I can make it. Um, right. And I and I had just had I basically just amped myself up. And was like, my voice is needed. My ideas are needed. I mean, not all my ideas. We all have bad ideas, but just, <laughs> you know, and I, I definitely have my, my fair share of trash ideas for sure. But in general, I was like, I want to tell stories about, you know, uh, underrepresented communities and people that we don't get to see on television a lot. And I don't want my whole career to be sort of tinged by like, Davida doesn't talk enough. And so I basically made this pact with myself that I, it was, for me, it was like all or nothing. Like I'm either going to say everything I think, or I'm going to say nothing. And I had already kind of been hovering around. I'm not saying enough. So I was like, why don't you just try saying everything, like no matter what, (laughs) and then see how that goes. And then after I made that pact with myself, the next show I worked on was Queen Sugar, which was a great show to work on. I had a, a, um, my showrunner on that show was Monica Maser, who is this amazing uh, writer, black woman, um, and she's yeah. really supportive and great. And so basically, I tried out my philosophy of I'm just going to say everything, and it worked really mm-hmm. well on that show. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. And then basically, like from from then on, I was like, I'm just going to pitch everything. So so just bringing it bringing it back around to joining the Good Fight season three, I'm still on my philosophy of like I either I just I'm going to say it, like I just feel like. 
I got to a point in my life and in my career where I was just like, you never want to be an asshole. You don't want Mm -hmm. to hurt people's feelings. And I don't think that's necessary, you know? Um, But I realized that I need to just pitch my ideas and people can disagree or they cannot disagree. You can't really control how people uh, receive what you're offering. But I know Mm -hmm. that my intentions in anything I pitch are uh, clean and clear and not meant to be harmful. And so anyway, going into season three, I was like, I'm still on my I'm going to pitch everything tip. Mm -hmm. And so I did, you know, and they I think that the good the the staff of the good fight and the kings are very much like they want to have all these conversations and Mm -hmm. they they everyone realizes that the show I mean they don't market it this way I wish they would do they would market it away this way a little bit more the CBS I mean um but the show is even though we where we brought over Diane Lockhart from uh the good wife the show is about her working at this black law firm in Chicago and I think that everyone who works on the show the writers have a real hunger to dig into like what that means and the ramifications of of this white woman now working at this black firm and what would actually be happening behind the scenes at this black firm. And so um, they all want to have the, all the writers wanted to have these conversations and I very much wanted to have these conversations and that in combination with my, I'm going to pitch everything in my head philosophy, which I do even now, but sometimes I'll be like, I know that this is probably not going to fly, but I need to say it out loud just to get it off my brain. Um, I still do that. Um, It just, it's helpful. You know, not every. Like no, no matter who you are, not everything you pitch is ever going to end up like not everything you pitch is going to end up uh, in the show. But, you know, sometimes you pitch things that lead to larger conversations that lead to what actually ends up in the show or whatever. And then sometimes just having the conversations is helpful for deepening uh, everyone's understanding of the characters. But anyway, mm-hmm. I just I definitely felt uh you know, I got over my initial sort of, I'm the new kid on the block nerves because, you know, no one treated me that way. And then also I was just on my own sort of determined to go in there and be myself and say what I had to say. And I've always done that. And, you know, they're, they're always receptive. And I think it's a room where we're constantly exchanging lots of information on all sides. Like I've learned lots of things. Like we, like we have so many different people on the staff. Like some people are history buffs and some people are opera buffs and some people Mm -hmm. are like really, you know, I, I follow politics closely of course for the show, but I, I wouldn't, I would not necessarily call myself like a politico really, but we do have like some serious politicos on the show, including Orrin Squire. Um, So anyway, I just feel like it's a lovely convergence of all these different um, uh, points of view that get to kind of come and meld together in this like lovely container, which is the show. And I, I think you can sort of see that in the episodes that, yes, that there are lots of different points of view behind the scenes on this show and that no, no one's point of view really outranks anyone, anyone else's. So I think that's helpful because I feel like the show, the show often asks a lot of interesting questions, but I, I think the show is also really good at kind of staying in the gray without sort of, being preachy or coming down on one side of like this person's wrong or this person's right. And I think that the conversations that we have in the room and that we all feel safe having because we respect each other is kind of translated in that way in the episodes in terms of um, the episodes having the ability to kind of live in this gray middle area in general. Right. 
Right. Because I, I remember the, the, the episode that you wrote uh, in season three, that was the one with that Melania Trump sort of shadowy figure. Yeah. Uh, that that Luca. Um, so the, the idea is that perhaps Melania Trump is looking to divorce uh, Donald Trump. So we don't really get the answer if it's really Melania or not. Um, but how, how did you come up with the idea for, for that script? Because I, I really loved it. Yeah, thank you. Um, it definitely wasn't my idea. I don't. I honestly don't remember whose idea it was in the room. Um, I and which happens a lot. I feel like it sounds like it. It sounds crazy that you would forget whose idea is which. But you know, we're in we're in there every day for like six months, and we're all pitching constantly. So sometimes it's like you just kind of forget who came up with the thing. But anyway, I for, I forget whose actual idea it was. But then when we heard it, maybe it was Roberts, but. We heard it and it was like, well, that's cool. Like, can we do that? One is like, are the Trumps going to come sue CBS or something? Because we are saying things. But I feel like we, co- we, you know, we kind of covered it by never sort of, you're never sort of fully sure whether it's Melania or not. Even when the episode is done, it's like, well, it could be Melania. It could not be. Um, and yeah, and then we just kind of ran with it. You know, it was a fun, um, it was a fun concept that I, that we hadn't, really seen done on television there have been there have been a lot of like um people going on uh late night shows sort of doing impersonations of melania um but nothing really from like her her point of view in sort of a more serious way although i think that 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 episode had elements of like Definitely satire, also like some thriller kind of uh moments things like that um mm-hmm. but yeah, we just sort of like, I did a lot of research on Melania and because um, I, I guess I realized that I just sort of, I'd had a, con- a, con- a concept of what sh- who she was, but I didn't actually know that much about her. Um, and I didn't, I wanted to make sure in the episode that we didn't come away feeling like we should be sorry for Melania because that's not how I feel. But I do feel like they're, you know, it's interesting kind of investigating her psychology and like, I remember reading about the fact that she is like a little bit obsessed with Jackie O and had made some comments in the past about, you know, like sort of the wife's place and kind of like the sort of wife that Jackie O was for um, JFK and, you know, all like basically like presenting this outside ideal of perfection and always being very beautiful and being kind and being or not kind because I don't know if she's kind, but coming okay. com- coming across as someone who's like uh, the perfect wife, you know, and like very just like very beautiful and put together and graceful. And I and you can you can kind of see like that that's definitely Melania's sort of like main. At, at least to me, I feel like that's kind of what she's focused on as first lady. So sort of like investigating that, but also um, crossing that with the idea that she's uh, a devout Catholic um, and you know, that she also seems to hate Donald Trump, but also, you know, signed, <laughs> signed up for this ride, of course. Um, so anyway, I think we, we just found a way to sort of take all those elements and mash them together and kind of uh, make an interesting story. Although, you know, we're, of course, I don't think the episode ever really says whether it's her or not. And it, it, it could have just been a really great impersonator. Um, but yeah, that was that was a fun one. Right. I, I think one of the things that I, I love too, especially with you and Aaron being in the writer's room, is that, you know, like I'm a huge fan of Diane Lockhart. Uh, Christina Baranski is queen. Um, but <laughs> yes. what I love what I love here in The Good Fight is that now in this show, we kind of see, you know, 
from The Good Wife, she was like this very staunch, you know, liberal um, feminist Democrat, right? And now on The Good Fight, we're seeing that there are cracks in that, right? Like there's a complication um, in the fact that she is still a privileged white woman. And I don't think that's something that she that was ever... I don't know if the examination was as deep in The Good Wife, but I think now, like you said, now that she is in a black law firm, you can't ignore that. You know what I mean? That she is this white woman who is working in a majority black owned firm. And and what does that come with, especially with her interaction with um, Audra McDonald's uh, character with, with Les, Liz Reddick? You do kind of see, like, especially that friendship that develops with Diane and Liz, you do kind of see that there are differences like, yes, they are both accomplished and they are still, um, you know, very privileged women, but there's that let aided that added layer. As far as Liz having that experience as a, as a black woman, there are certain things that Diane will never understand. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? And like, just when, by joining the, is that something that you wanted to explore or, or, or conversations that you and the Kings had with um, Diane's character? Yeah, I don't I don't think that they were conversations that we had explicitly, um, but it it just seemed like sort of a natural uh, just sort of a natural kind of development from her character in on The Good Wife. You know, Uh, even though The Good Wife wasn't that long ago, I think, you know, we all feel like we've been living through the Trump presidency for like decades on end, even though it it hasn't been decades. Um, And the time before 2016 is a, is a very different time from post 2016, you know? And I think being a Democrat pre-Trump is a very different, especially as, as a white woman, as Diana's uh, is very different from being a Democrat post-Trump. And I think that um, the Kings and the other writers on the show and myself, like we are, you know, I, they they say this all the time. The Kings they don't want the show to sort of be like a liberal wet dream, you know. Like it's not the show is not supposed to be like liberals are great and and uh, Republicans are and conservatives are bad, you know. It, it the show does also I think try to sh- shine a light on the inner workings of uh, what's going on in like the Democratic Party and sp- individual Democrats and also like some of the contradictions there and the hypocrisy. Um, mm. And not saying that Diane Lockhart is a hypocrite, but I think that the whole, like, much of, I don't think her character is actually at all, because I think you see her, you see at, over the course of the narrative and the good fight, that she's really trying to reconcile sort of where she was um, as a Hillary supporting, uh, you know, very liberal Democrat with what that means now. And a lot, and in a lot of ways, that means, especially as we see in season three, finding ways to work outside of the system and finding Mm -hmm. ways to uh, resist that don't involve, you know, like donating to the democratic party or uh, you know, like, uh, uh, and I mean, and not that those aren't valid things to do, but I just, I feel like you see Diane sort of coming to terms with like what it means to be uh, in her position and have the power that she does and how she tries to use it in a way that she thinks will be um, more helpful in terms of getting Donald Trump out of the office. And I think it just kind of reflects, you know, in a lot, I think it reflects reality in a lot of ways for a lot of um, Democrats uh, who just sort of woke up after, uh, after Trump took office. And so I think, you know, a lot of what we see, especially in season three, and then there's more of it in season four too, but, um, 
it's just her trying to, uh, yeah, just reconcile the ways in which she feels like she wants to do more and she needs to do more and finding ways that feel satisfying for her that don't always involve going through the DNC. Right. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that I do appreciate the show, which is funny because I find, you know, there are a lot of like um, more conservative people or, you know, Trump supporters who just don't like the good fight. They're like, this is Trump propaganda. This is anti-Trump propaganda. And I'm like, yeah, but if you watch the show, they're bashing everybody <laughs> equally. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And I and I love that. Like with season three, when Diane and Liz joined that group of women that are just like by any means necessary. And then we see Diane and Liz are like, well, there's certain lines that we're not going to cross. You know what I mean? Like we're not going to be rigging voting machines. Like that's a no. You know what I mean? And, and it was really interesting to kind of see Liz kind of push back like, well, why not? Because, I mean, you know, historically, Black voters have been disenfranchised. So if we can take back that power, like, it's just like all these, like you said, just kind of seeing the fallacies of both the of the conservative agenda and also the liberal agenda that there are faults on both sides. So um, as far as like the Black women characters, I did want to talk to you about that, because I do feel that um one of the storylines in season three, we find out that the founding partner, um, uh, Mr. Bozeman, who was played by uh, Lou Gossett Jr., um, we found out that this man who was basically basically the civil rights lion or icon was a sexual predator and had, you know, sexually harassed and sexually um you know, assaulted and harassed um, a couple of his um, employees at his time at the law firm. Um, so I wanted to know, like, what was your input on that or like that point of view? Because that's a very touchy subject, because like we see in real time with Bill Cosby and R. Kelly and, and other black iconic male figures is this idea of we that we don't want to mess with the legacy. Right. Like, you know, black men have it hard enough. And so, you know, if there's a couple of sexual indiscretions, so what? You know, the 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 the, the idea is that the work is more important than the personal. What what was your feeling um, when that storyline was introduced to you? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really interesting uh, it wasn't. It wasn't my idea. I mean, we all mm. we all work on all the episodes, as you could probably tell from what I've said thus far in our conversation. But we all contribute to all of them. That specific idea wasn't my idea, um, but I really liked it. I thought it was interesting. You know, I think uh, we're constantly butting up against uh, you know ideals versus reality, and I think um, for many reasons, which we don't have to go into right now, but I'm sure you know we're all aware, like the history of this country and, you know, how the country was founded amongst other, and how, and how we're still seeing ramifications of that, like pretty much in every aspect of life in America. Um, it's, it's very, I think we live in a society that has a lot of trouble um, dealing with the idea that our heroes could be flawed or that our heroes are flawed. I think we like, I think most of us feel more comfortable in a binary and I, you know, I have, I, I, there are people I idolize too. And like, I, I always want them to be perfect, but you know, no one is perfect. But I think we, again, we live in this, I think most people sort of feel more comfortable in a binary where people are, they can put them sort of neatly into a category of good or bad. And uh, the fact of the matter is no one is all good and no one is all bad. Um, even the worst people. Uh, so again, I think it's, it's hard for us to deal with um, think uh, with, 
coming to terms with like the full humanity of people, which means that oftentimes like even our most amazing heroes are flawed. And that means that, you know, as much as I love my people, you know, I am, I'm a black woman and I love black women and black men. And, um, but we're flawed too, you know, like we all have Mm -hmm. flaws and it's not, I think it's really important that we don't just hold ourselves up on a pedestal. And it's a hard thing because, you know, because of our history and our background and the fact that, and which is, it's funny. I, I, the last, the most recent episode of good, of the good fight is an episode about reparations. And so I put a lot of what I'm about to say now into that episode. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, we, we, there's never really been a full acknowledgement of the things that black people have gone through in this country. There are still a lot of ways in which uh, other versions of slavery are systemic in the country and we we haven't gotten the apologies that we deserve and so a lot of this is a lot of us uh as a people comes can come around like healing and wanting to nurture ourselves and wanting to be there for ourselves because uh the american government has let us down in so many ways and and there's still obviously so much racism pretty much in every uh every facet of society but you know i think we also have to challenge ourselves like I mean, it sounds so trite, but it's like, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. And I think we have to challenge ourselves as people to hold our heroes who have done wrong up to, uh, I don't want to say magnifying glass. It's not about picking people apart, but it is Mm -hmm. about, I think the only way we can sort of come to terms with our own shadows as individuals and the things that make us uncomfortable about ourselves is to also do that with our heroes and our celebrities and the people who um, have done, have meant a lot to us. And again, this does not mean picking people apart, but when you sort of have a very obvious transgression, like in, uh, as we, as we depicted in, um, Good Fight season three last year, where the founder of this amazing civil rights law firm has committed these horrible transgressions, I don't think, I think at the end of the day, it's not helpful to sweep those sorts of transgressions under the rug. I mean, I feel like, you know, that's just a poison that it's like, it might, you know, you might sort of put the bandaid on it for now. And I think we suggest in the episode that they had put sort of a bandaid on it, like, you know, earlier when it was happening. Um, But eventually those sorts of secrets come out and it's sort of like, I'm going to make tons of like terrible metaphors. I'm trying, I'm like springing for like words that I've heard. I feel like I can't find them, but it's like, you know, if the, if the, if the root is rotten, then the the plant, I think also, even if the plant looks pretty uh, above ground, you know, under the soil, I think there's, there's a lot of stuff that still needs to be dealt with. And I think the only way uh, as a society, but also like, just the microcosm of society as, as individuals. The only way to like fully be health, healthy is to look at our roots too and make sure that our roots aren't rotten. And the, the problem is that's a very painful process on top of the fact that we have a lot of legitimate grievances based on uh, the status of Black people in this country. But again, I don't think that, that uh, the way that we're currently treated uh and the problems that we still are dealing with because of legacies of um, slavery and Jim Crow. Um, I don't think that that's a full, that's not an excuse for not uh, dealing with, uh, with certain issues. And so, you know, that's, I, that's why I was, I thought the episode that we did with 
with uh, Carl Reddick was really interesting and was a way to kind of explore that. And again, like, you know, as the good, the territory that the good fight usually lives in, like we don't necessarily, our characters don't necessarily come out of that episode smelling like roses, you know, like we're, mm. we're, we are paying off women and we are having women sign NDAs. I think the show is very committed to having its characters um, act like real people do. And sometimes real people don't always do the right thing. So on one hand, Carl Reddick certainly wasn't doing the right thing. And on the other hand, you know, uh, in the, in present day, um, our characters, the law firm, you know, are doing things that some people would definitely find um, morally wrong in terms of helping to silence these women. But I think at the end of the day, it, it sponsors a larger conversation about how to react to these sorts of situations and whether these sorts of situations are better uh, better to sweep under the rug or deal with out in the open. I don't you know. I think it's really important that shows don't, in general, don't moralize and don't preach. And I think The Good Fight is really wonderful at not doing that. I think we're very good at sort of um, pointing at issues and exploring them from a psychological point of view without sort of saying, and this person is wrong. And so you, and you know, and so uh, that person should, and so that person should be punished. I think, you know, it's very clear that Carl Reddick in the episode did things that were horrible, but I think the episode is more so about, you know, exploring what legacy means and what people do to protect legacy in a very realistic way, you know? Um, Mm So at the end of the day, I thought that that episode turned out really well and I was very happy with it. And even though, you know, I sort of had to, it's something I work on constantly. It's like you write these characters and, you know, you feel like sometimes you feel like your characters are a little piece of you and it's like, you don't want them, you don't want them to go down that, that wrong path because you, you want to protect them, but you can't always protect your characters. And I remember feeling like in the room when we talked about it, I was like, oh, I feel I, you know, there's part of me that's like. I think there was a, a, a scene in the episode where one of the, the black women who uh, was abused says something like, well, I don't want to, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something like she didn't want to tear that black man down because so many black men have been torn down. And I felt like, okay, that's not the way I would react, but that is an honest reaction. And it's, yes, it is. It's very important to uh, include, I think, honest depictions of people, even if they don't reflect and even if they don't reflect in every single instance, how you would react and what you think. I think that authenticity in terms of a diverse range of reactions is oftentimes um, just as important, if not more important than probably more important, honestly, than protecting your characters. So that was a great, you know, I, I think that episode was a success and, Again, there are parts of it where I was like, I don't feel this way and I don't, I wouldn't react this way as this person. But I also know that there are people in the world who feel that way, who do feel that we shouldn't, we should not tear down our, you know, black icons, like at any cost. And, you know, I can't say that I don't feel Bill Cosby should be in prison. You know, I can't say that I don't feel R. Kelly should be in prison. So, you know, I feel that way. I know there are people who would rather Bill Cosby be free and walking around the same for R. Kelly. And even though that I don't agree with that, you know, I think it was very important that we still represented that point of view um, in the episode. Great. Um, and then I know last year, um, 
you it was announced that you have a, a production deal with with um Reese Witherspoon's uh production company Hello Sunshine. So you're actually developing a, a new series for her. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I um I am obsessed with family dramas. I think I've always wanted to write like I, I've always been attracted to family dramas and a lot of the shows I've worked on have been family dramas. And so um, I, I'd written this family drama uh, called Kin about uh, these, it's about these three generations of black women and sort of how they relate to each other and how they're very different. Um, and I sold it uh, or I, you know, I pitched it to Hello Sunshine and they came on board and then we ended up selling it to stars so we're we're working on that now. Um, I am currently working on the second episode, and then you know, we'll, we'll stars we'll figure out what stars like, you know, if they want to move forward and what which way they want to move forward. Um, but that is still something that we are in the process of working on. Great. So, um, what advice would you give? So, for our listeners, if you have somebody who's listening and they're just like, you know what. I want to go into writing, you know, for TV or write a script. Like what advice would you give for someone? At least like your top three uh, pieces of advice. My top three pieces of advice. Okay. Um, I think one is to, and not necessarily, this is not necessarily an order of least to most important, just in the order that they come, they come to my brain. Um, But one is to watch and read as much as possible like, uh, you know, I don't, you can, I think it's really hard to write in a complete vacuum. One, I think it's really important just to know, especially as a television writer, there's so much TV on screen. You, I think it's very important to have a sense of what else is in the, is in the landscape and just to know what else, not because you want to copy it or because you want to like let anyone else doing their thing, keep you from doing your thing. But I do think it's important to have knowledge of what's on television now, what people are discussing, what's what's being talked about. So definitely watching television, watching movies, seeing plays if you can, reading books, reading plays, reading magazine articles, newspaper articles, basically just trying to take in a lot of culture and history and, and knowledge and learning just because everything that you learn is um, – it's fodder for what you may write and you never know what will inspire you. So on one hand, like, yes, good to know. It's good to know about like just the landscape of what is on television, what's in the movies. And then two, you just never know where that next piece of inspiration will come from. Um, And so it's just good to kind of constantly be, uh, you know, learning new things. And part of the way you learn new things is by reading and watching um, and then also just from a practical point of view, you know, learning how to write a movie or write a, a television episode or write a play, if that's what you want to do. It helps a lot, obviously, to watch these things and kind of get a sense of structure and understand how character development works. And, you know, obviously there are books you can read for that and people should read for that. And I did all that, too, when I was starting out. But sometimes it also just helps to, like, watch an episode or watch a movie and like literally pause between scenes and break down what happened and break down the flow. So definitely my first piece of advice is uh, watching, reading, intaking as much as possible. Um, I guess my second piece of advice is to live your life. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I think you can't, you can't write, 
I don't think you can spend all of your time writing. And I know it's very tempting to do that. And I certainly have been through periods where I'm like, I'm just going to sit at this desk and I'm going to write from 9 a.m. till midnight and I'm going to get it all done and the script is going to be great. But I feel like, to me, I'm learning now and still actually constantly relearning this lesson that that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, one. And I feel like the, the creative process is best when it's sort of a flow and you're kind of letting the ideas flow through you. And I think what happens when you're kind of like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to write for 12 hours, it sort of cramps the flow. It's sort of like, it's almost like if the flow is like a hose or something, you decide, you deciding that things have to be so serious and so high pressure and so like high stress. It's like you just took your, took your hand and like, like, you're holding the hose in the middle and the the flow is the flow of water is being stopped because it's so much pressure, you know? And I think um, part of the way to relieve that pressure is to like go out and enjoy life and do things and whatever that means like to you, you know, like it doesn't, it could be just going for a walk or going to museums or traveling or seeing family, seeing friends. I think the, the key is just to have fun. Like your life, Ideally, you want to be in, enjoying other parts of your life so that when you come back to your writing, you're feeding, you're feeding your writing by enjoying your life in other sectors. Um, and it also, you know, just gives you something to write about. You know, you don't want, you don't want to be, you don't want that, you're, you don't want your whole life to just be staring at a screen and not having experienced um, as much in real life. So I think it's sort of this like constant exchange of making sure you step away from writing and you go out and you have experiences and you have adventures. I think that's the key word, like whatever that means to you personally, but having adventures, I think always informs what and how you write. And will also just make the writing process easier, I hope. Oh, perfect. This is great advice. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, can you let our listeners know where they can follow you follow you on, on social media? Yes. And I'm terrible at social medias, but and I <laughs> and I don't do that much. But I'm literally I'm going to look up what my Twitter handle is now so I can tell people. I think my Twitter handle is um at Davida SC. So yes. you can yes, people can follow me there and I probably won't tweet anything, but sometimes I like funny things. So maybe mm. that'll end up in their feed. Um, that's pretty much it. And then I'm still writing on the good fight, you know, season four, just, yes. yeah, season four just started airing. Um, I think like about a month ago. So that's mm-hmm. airing now. Um, and I think CBS all access is offering like the first 30 days free or something like that. So, you know, get on CBS All Access. And then I also work on, the Kings have another show on CBS called Evil. So I work on that too. We're currently in the room on that, but I wrote a couple of episodes in season one. So you can check that out. Yes. That's my next that's my next binge watch. My friends have oh. been su- suggesting evil. I was yes. like, oh, Davina writes on it? Okay. I I'm do. Good. <laughs> it is it is a bizarre, weird, awesome show. Um, I love very bizarre. yes, very trippy, but it's a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy watching it. But yeah, that's what I'm working on. So, you know, check those episodes out and that's pretty much it. Great. Thank you for listening to a new episode of the Spectrum Lounge. See you next time. <laughs>